Good morning. Good to be with you. Our first reading in the New Testament comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And uh, it just picks up midway between the trial of Jesus when he is in custody before Pilate. And this is Pilate speaking to the crowd who are demanding Jesus' death. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. The third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I'll therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. Our next reading comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Paul addressing the Christians in that congregation. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The word of the Lord. If reciting the Apostles Creed for you is maybe like listening to a Bach sonata or the jazz of Thelonious Monk or maybe even Dolly Parton on a vinyl record, then uttering the name Pontius Pilate, while saying the creed, feels and sounds like a long, harsh scratch across that same record. It's disruptive. It doesn't fit with the other names in the creed. Pilate is not a good dude. He is not a hero. He is a heel. So how does Pontius Pilate come into the creed? Karl Barth says he comes into the creed like a mangy dog into a nice room. He doesn't really fit with the wonderful expressions of God's work as creator, Christ's work as redeemer, and the Spirit's work of renewing and growing life in the church. But the original framers of the Apostles' Creed, and remember it wasn't the apostles who wrote the creed themselves, but later Christians who were summarizing the teaching of the apostles from the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, these early authors of the Apostles' Creed were not just throwing us a curveball, not just trying to keep us awake while we're saying the thing or adding filler for this already concise statement of faith. In fact, there are two, I think, key reasons that Pontius Pilate's name is in the Creed, and it's there for our edification, and it's there for our growth in grace. And then there is also, I think, one key takeaway of application for us. So that's what I'm going to take us through this morning by God's grace. Here's the first reason I think that the uh, Apostles' Creed includes the name Pontius Pilate in it. And it's this. The Christian faith is a concrete, historical thing. The Christian faith is not just only about ideas or precepts alone. So to put Pilate's name in the creed is more glue holding together the frame that at the core of Christianity is history. Stuff happens. And at the core of Christianity is people with fingerprints, with faces, with shoe sizes, real people. 
And Jesus is not a theory, but a particular human life. He is not a general principle, but a person with a name. Jesus, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. Likewise, Pilate was a real human who was a regional governor for Rome. Rome, the invading empire that had conquered Israel in the first century during Jesus' life. So the name Pontius Pilate is a historical anchor. It prevents us from turning the Christian faith into a set of general or even private truths about the world or about our thought life. It reminds us that the good news is not an idea, but a fact. If there's one tendency you might notice, something I've noticed, maybe something, well, you'll you'll see something I've even done, especially among those who commend the Christian faith, do what Christians call apologetics, is that it can sometimes seem as if what we are talking about is who has the best theory, the best or most flawless theological system, like we're putting together some kind of formula. When I was in college, Oh, so many years ago, I remember having a discussion with a a, a guy I knew named Rick, and we were literally talking about salvation. And I was being very forceful because I knew that my arguments were tight and shiny and right. And he said, bro, I can't really argue with what you're saying. It seems right the way that you have constructed what you're saying, but the way you are saying it is just false and unbelievable. Unbelievable. And you know what I did? I punched Rick. No, I didn't punch Rick. That would would have made it very concrete. But his words really, metaphorically at least, felt like a punch to me. He was right. The way I was talking about Christian faith was just theory. And I was being obnoxious about it. My conversation back then, Christianity was just a matter of having the cleanest lines of philosophical or theological explanation, almost like a math proof that had nothing to do with the real world. Then it comes to seem as if salvation is just an intellectual matter, getting rid of wrong ideas and trucking in all of the right ideas. But as we know from Scripture and the creed and experience, Salvation is much more concrete than just an exchange of ideas, like we are debating plot points in Star Wars. It's also about the forgiveness, and chiefly about the forgiveness of sin and opposition to sin for and by real people. Us. So let's talk about sin a little bit. And this is reason two why Pilate is in the, in the creed. Pilate is an example. His name is a concrete marker that sin doesn't just happen in people's hearts, but that sin happens and flows out and is expressed structurally, societally as well. So when we hear and say that Pontius Pilate, when we hear and say Pontius Pilate's name in the creed, we are reminded that sin and its effects occur not just on an individual level, not just interpersonally, but socially as well. In other words, we see in Pilate social elements, structural elements of the practice of sin that can and be woven into society by law and 
practice. Because we see here in this exchange, especially what I read to you from Luke chapter 23, state power made visible in its most negative form, in human perversion, in unrighteousness, in pragmatic reasoning to the crushing of truth and justice. What does Pilate do in Luke 23 that I just read from? Well, we heard in the gospel portion that I read from Luke that as he is called to deal with Jesus in his role as a Roman governor, he attempts to rescue and to maintain order. But Pilate does so to preserve his own position of power by surrendering, by giving up, by perverting the clear law, the law that he was supposed to protect, that he was installed to protect. He doesn't condemn Jesus. He finds him not guilty, but he surrenders Jesus to maintain his place of privilege, to maintain a kind of order, and to preserve power for those who are ruling. Pilate is the utter pragmatist, the one who later on in John's gospel asks to Jesus, what what is truth? He's lost such sight of what is righteousness, what is true, what is good. He's just maneuvering Politically, he simply wants to keep the status quo and not have righteousness be public in this case. And it's at this point in the creed where we in the PCA, our flavor of Presbyterians and other evangelical churches, if evangelical even means anything anymore, should take note because we tend to think the good news is just about a personal and sort of private decision to trust Christ, a personal transaction between an individual and God, whereby the person receives pardon from God for sin and receives from God a status of righteousness because of Jesus' sacrifice. True enough, that is all true. That is what happens. But it's simply not private and personal encounter between us and God that stays at the level of personal transformation only. Rather, because rebellion towards God is expressed not just personally, but also corporately and socially, the effects and practice of sin can be social and institutional as well. As one rapper puts it, never forget the story of Jesus. That in the story of Jesus, the hero was killed by the state. Injustice executed by the state. So when people who have been hurt, people who have been marginalized, people who have been treated unjustly because of laws and practices in society, both in subtle and in explicit ways, when they raise their voice, we shouldn't be dismissive of them or tell them that God just wants them to go to heaven. So don't worry about this injustice here and now. Instead, like the first Christians, Like Jesus in the Gospels, we should listen, we should sympathize, and we should engage for the sake of God's kingdom, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But likewise, we remember that we're also not looking for a scapegoat to punish either. And this is where we get distinctly Christian. We are taught in Scripture that all people are sinners before God. Therefore, all have grace and mercy, forgiveness and spiritual healing extended to them. 
both the oppressed and the oppressor, both the victim and the victimizer can and should receive God's grace and mercy and welcome by the church. So Pilate's placement in the creed reminds us of the need to be public Christians, Christians for the sake of others, for the scorned, the outcast and the neediest. And that's not being political, or at least it's not being partisan. That's just being Christian. And that gets me to the last point that I want to highlight for us this morning. This is the application point. And it's this, that you as the body of Christ, we as the body of Christ, make righteousness real for other Christians and for the world who don't yet know Christ. By works of mercy and necessity, by works of public and practical service to others. You see, since Pilate's name is in the creed, it brings home the fact that Christianity is about history. It is about here and now. It is about uh, uh, tactile, concrete things, fleshed out actions that are real and true to be done by Christians. And likewise, Pilate's name is a recognition that sin exists in the world, both personally and through the medium of institutions and social structures. So we are called by faith to concretely and faithfully serve Jesus by serving others, especially those in need, especially those who are the least of these and those who need health, both in the household of faith, but also all people who are made in God's image, those outside the church as well. It's a tangible way to bear witness, to give an account for the hope that is in you, to share your faith, as it were. To serve others. To stand up and be a voice for others. This is good news work. This is Holy Spirit power. Gregory of Nazianzus, a 4th century bishop of Constantinople, put it like this. Talking about the Christian life. It's not only suffering, but it is service. While we may, he says, let us visit Christ. Let us heal Christ. Let us Feed Christ. Let us clothe Christ. Let us welcome Christ. Let us honor Christ. Since the Lord of all will have mercy and not sacrifice, let us offer to him through the poor who are today downtrodden. That's Gregory. Let me give you one more. Jesus. Matthew 25. When he's talking about the final judgment of things, the summing up of history, when he stands before all, all before all stand before him and he gives a summation, a judgment. What does he say? When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are, my, <clears throat> you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you by the foundation, before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to see me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
we often struggle with what does it mean to evangelize, to share our faith. When we do things like help others because of the grace that we have received and forgiveness. When we speak up for them. When we serve them in concrete ways, just like Jesus explained here, that is bearing witness for faith. That is us even yelling into what seems like a void of darkness. It is saying that evil does not have the last word. Personal sin, social and structural sin does not have the last word. Jesus does. And we're going to bring a little bit, a little point of that light right here, right now. By using our voice, by using our treasure, by using our time. Let's pray. Lord, in your mercy, we do ask that you would help us to take this small prepositional phrase in this short creed and receive these words of life that we have heard from Scripture, words from Jesus, words from the Apostle Paul, that you have overcome. Pilate's name is in the creed, yes, but it is not the last word. It is not the last name. It is not the most important name. It is simply a hook to remind us, a hook upon which hangs reminder that life is concrete, historical, real here and now. And the Christian faith is not simply about being delivered to heaven, though we do look for that and long for that. But while we are here, while we are filled with your spirit, while we are united to one another in this common cause, by this shared spirit, with the same energy and power that you had, Jesus, then like you in your life, we want to bear witness to your kingdom. Whether it is leaning against hunger, nakedness, imprisonment, false or otherwise. Lord, let Christian voices in humility, not arrogance, not with a wagging finger, but rather with an open hand. Let Christian voices be the ones that are noted for leaning into where there is suffering and need among those who are on the fringes, those who, who are the least of these. We can only do this not by crunching our brow, not by gathering up more energy or doing anything by our own power, but rather, as Scripture and the Creed teaches us, because of what the Father has done in the Son, working in the Spirit. And so we pray for that Holy Spirit power now to work in us. In your great name we pray. Amen.